everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Bovada at Odds podcast. I'm your host, Seth Everett. The head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com is Patrick Morrow. And Patrick, uh, week one in the NFL preseason, a rousing success. And you're starting to see rosters change. Uh, every team has to be down to 85, which is still, you know, 20 or 30 or so players to go. Still the most famous of all of them. Tim Tebow waved by the Jacksonville Jaguars. A boo hoo hoo. <laughs> and I know everyone's thinking, Seth, what did this do to the futures markets for the Jacksonville Jaguars? And it did nothing. Of it course, did it didn't absolutely move the needle nothing. at all. Uh, Tim Tebow was. Uh, was there you know, a prop was... bet on does Tebow make the team? There, uh, you know, unfortunately, with Tebow, uh, Tebow gets clicks, whether it's ESPN, Fox, everywhere else. So, uh, and you know, in Bavada, we're <laughs> we are in the business of servicing those clicks as much as uh, I might have to roll my eyes. So, we did have props on whether he would make the team, whether he would score a touchdown this year. Uh, our, our one of my favorite ones was actually, would he catch a touchdown pass? Uh, at uh, we had that at five to one this year as well, because there was a chance that he could maybe run one in. I actually thought it would be kind of cool. I know, uh, you know, I can see you rolling your eyes. Uh, but if he did a jump pass to Trevor Lawrence, oh, I think God. that would be uh, kind of fun. Trevor Lawrence is a wide receiver as a one-off. That could have been fun to see. But you know what? It's hopefully, because I've said this more than a few times, I said it on his first NFL stint. I said it when he was trying to make a, something happen with the Mets. I'm saying it again now. Hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about Tim Tebow and sports betting at Bavada. Still, uh, week two in the preseason. If you thought there were a lot of nationally televised games, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten nationally televised games between now and the next at odds podcast. Wow. Um, that that's a lot. Let's start with the Thursday night matchup, New England and Philadelphia. New England at Philadelphia on Thursday night. Taking a look at that now. And the New England Patriots currently minus one and a half point favorites at Bavada over under of 38 and a half there. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, we, we, we crap, or at least I crap on the pre NFL preseason, uh, you know, fairly regularly. But uh, having as many nationally televised games does translate into that much more betting. So, uh, you know, if a game's just on the local CBS affiliate in New York, eh, you know, we're maybe not paying as much attention to it. But when these games are on NFL networks, if they're on Fox National or ESPN across the board, uh, those are opportunities for us because we know they're going to see uh, that many more eyes that we will raise the limits for these games. So players will have this week with so many nationally televised games, so many more betting opportunities, so many more chances to get their money down. And for all of these games that are nationally televised, Seth, we will have live betting for all of them, something that we didn't have in week one. So there's just going to be so many different ways for folks to bet these games at Bavada. All right. Uh, then the Friday, there's uh, two games. One, in, at least in the United States, is on ESPN versus NFL Network. Uh, Kansas City at Arizona and Cincinnati, Washington. Yeah, Chiefs are currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Bavada with the over-under of 41, one of the highest over-unders uh, in the preseason. Again, preseason generally a lot less scoring as teams are trying to uh, really work out the kinks and not uh, necessarily try and score and score fast. Uh, the other game, Bengals at uh, Washington football team. Washington football team currently four-and-a-half-point favorites at Bovada. Uh, one of the more lopsided uh, positions of the week as we're taking 75% of bets on that game on the Washington football team. Over under currently sitting at 34 and a half, one of the lower over unders posted on the board this week, Seth. 
Saturday, there are four nationally televised games. Let's start it off with Buffalo and Chicago at Soldier Field. Uh, the New York Jets travel to Green Bay. Why? Uh, Detroit <laughs> takes on Pittsburgh. And uh, the Los Angeles Rams host the Las Vegas Raiders. Their stadium looked cool, uh, the Vegas Raiders, last week. I saw that against Seattle. But uh, this time, the, the Raiders are on the road to take on the Rams. Two teams that used to be Los Angeles. Then one was in Oakland. Then one was in St. Louis. Now one's back in Los Angeles and the other one's in Las Vegas. Explain goodness, that. Goodness, Seth. I got whiplash trying to keep track of all of that. If I had but... told you that 20 years ago, you would have been like, yeah, right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's the Raiders and Rams, uh, two brothers from different mothers, but they've ended up here. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, uh, cool news about the uh, the Raiders real quick that uh, they announced that uh, they will be requiring full vaccination for all their home games this year. So we will actually see full fans at L.A. Va uh, Raider games this year. Uh, Mark Davis himself didn't even go to games last year because he said he didn't want to experience it until the fans could experience. Uh, what do they call it? The Death Star there uh, in Las Vegas, yeah. that massive. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a beautiful looking stadium, you know. Uh, it's it's great that the NFL is there, but getting back to the games itself, we asked why are the New York Jets traveling to Green Bay? Uh, well, it's because the Zach Wilson led New York Football Jets are two point road favorites against Green Bay. Green Bay will be resting a lot of starters during this game. You're not going to be seeing much out of Aaron Rodgers and the people that will make up the core of the Green Bay Packers this year. So again, New York Jets, two-point road favorites at Bavada, and one of the more lopsided decisions of uh, the preseason week this week, Seth. Uh, currently 80% of all money on the New York football Jets. Not something we're going to be saying a lot this season, so Jets fans better enjoy it while they can. <laughs> um, is this the week where they play most of their starters? Because isn't the last week before the regular season, you don't play anybody? So th this is kind of a weird year, right? Because traditionally we would have four full weeks of preseason plus the right. uh, Hall Usually of Fame the game. closest thing to the regular season is week three, but week three is the final week. So it would probably be week two, right? So I think you're going to see a mix and match with some teams this year where you know they're maybe going to give them week three. Some t teams will give them week two. If you're the Packers, they're probably not going to give them much of anything because you know what you got with Aaron Rodgers under center. You know with you what you've got with Devontae Adams and the embarrassment of riches on that offensive side of the ball. So there's not really too much for these teams to figure out. I, I think more and more. Uh, you know, preseason is seems a burden by te by teams that are established, by teams that know what the sum of their parts are. It's about going through the motions, you know, shaking off a little bit of rust, but ultimately just trying to stay healthy. If you're a team like the Jets, who is trying to figure out, trying to turn around from how disastrous the last few years have been, yeah, you've got to put those starters out there. So I think, you know, it does create this weird kind of inverse reaction our inverse expectations, I should say. And the Peyton Manning Colts were one of the best versions of this where they would routinely go winless in the preseason and then, you know, stomp off, you know, 11, 12 win season year after year. So, uh, you know, again, it speaks to this really being a silly season. This really speaks to being a challenge for odds makers like us at Bavada to handicap games like this. But again, proof's in the pudding. It opened as a pick -em. Jets currently minus two at Bavada. And then the nightcaps, uh, two of them, uh, Detroit and Pittsburgh. Detroit and Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Steelers currently a five and a half point favorite at Bavada. That over under sitting at 37 and a half uh, so far. Uh, early returns have Detroit after the week one game. Uh, the Ford Field Faithful. Ooh, I didn't think I was going to say that. The Ford Field Faithful, uh, a pretty pleased so far with their uh, eclectic. You said it rather eloquently, too. <laughs> 
Ah, well, you know, everybody has their moment. But, uh, you know, they, they hired this really eclectic coach in the offseason. He looked like every strength coach from every high school football team you've ever seen. And you know what? Through one game, small sample size, uh, it looks like at least on the offensive and defensive line, they figured a little bit out. Uh, again, you try not to make too many assumptions off one game like that. What that means for the preseason, absolutely nothing. But in this game so far, again, off that small sample size, we are seeing 60% of bets at Bavada on the Detroit Lions at the Pittsburgh Steelers. So then Sunday, Sunday comes and the New York Giants are traveling to Cleveland. Uh, Daniel Jones expected to play in that game, but Cleveland should be a heavy favorite. Cleveland Browns are currently a five and a half point favorite at Bavada, Seth, and the over under is at 35 and a half right now. And the reason I reference the over under is because 75% of all bets are on the under so far. I mean, again, we've talked about NFL preseason being primarily low scoring. I think that's uh, baked into prices. Again, you know, you're not going to see over unders that are mostly in the 30s come uh, NFL real season. But there is this expectation that, uh, you know, the Browns defense is better this year. So maybe they will be able to keep a New York football Giants uh, offense, which has underperformed in recent years, uh, relatively undercover. And I don't think Cleveland will be looking to push the ball uh, too much in their direction either. So again, 80% of all bets are on under 35 and a half in that Giants-Browns game. And they're doing a double dip, by the way, in that Englewood, California stadium, the LA Chargers hosting San Francisco Sunday night when the Rams host the Raiders Saturday night. Wow, that reminds me of Giants Stadium. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, I, I still have to remind myself, Seth, that they are the L.A. Chargers because I miss the San Diego Chargers, if only for that excellent song they had, the San Diego Super Chargers. That was mm, that really takes me back. But looking to the odds on that game itself, the 49ers are four and a half point road favorites against the L.A. Chargers in this one. Sixty percent of all bets at Bavada currently on the 49ers. Over-under sitting at 34, eh, bets there, more 50-50. Not a lot of interest so far on the total. And then the Monday night special. This is another ESPN broadcast. The Tim Tebow-less Jacksonville Jaguars uh, with that coach Urban Meyer. Don't get me started against the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> Seth, it sounds like all your favorite people are making up this Jacksonville Jaguars team. And uh, yeah, after uh, Tebow was cut, the line moved from Jacksonville Jaguars plus four to Jacksonville Jaguars plus four. Of course, it didn't move at all because uh, Tim Tebow uh, was not expected to be a presence on this team, aside from the clicks that come with uh, wherever he goes. But as for the action report itself, uh, about 51%, so pretty much a toss-up. Pretty much a toss-up on the point spread. We're seeing about 60% of all money on the under. The over-under is 38.5 at Bavada right now. And again, that money trending towards the under. If we're going to go there, and we can, we can. I don't understand how the Jacksonville Jaguars hired Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer knowingly knew that one of his assistant coaches was beating his wife to a absolute bloody pulp and did nothing to stop it to think that that person can be a leader of men. I don't care if they're professional. I don't care if they're college. I don't care if they're pop Warner, that person would never be allowed to speak to anyone that I know. You know, it, it, the funny thing about Irvin Meyer, and I don't want to say any of this is funny is that when you started that sentence, how could you let anyone, and you could have very easily talked about his tenure at Florida, Seth. <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah. 
wherever he's been, there have been problems and, uh, you know, a lot of cover up of, you know, drugs and weapon charges and stuff like that. You know, he's not a molder of young men, but unfortunately, this is a zero sum business and results matter more than, you know, morality, unfortunately, but that is the case wherever Urban Meyer goes, he has had massive success and, Unfortunately, uh, whatever comes by the wayside and gets caught up in that as a result, uh, you know, is easily brushed aside. So I, I think, uh, you know, a Jaguars organization, it was dysfunctional before Urban Meyer. It's not really surprised that the that Shaq Khan brought uh, Urban Meyer into the fold there. It makes sense. Uh, you know, he knows the area. It's not like he can recruit uh, anymore. But, uh, you know, for a lot of these young players uh, that are in the NFL, they still see him and equate, you know, almost like a Nick Saban level of success with some. And you know what? Maybe he'll have that Nick Saban kind of NFL coaching career, too. All right. Since we're already on a slippery slope, let's go off the field. Uh, the <laughs> Car- California governor, you know, and I have friends who live in California and I talk about maligned. You know, look, the New York governor got embroiled in two major controversies and is resigning. But the California situation I think they're just trying to figure out really rough terrain and has every decision they've made been right? No, they're trying. And I admire the trying, Um, but there's going to be a recall election. And thus, once we have an election, there are odds. Yeah. And it's, you know, we don't have recall elections in Canada, Seth, and uh, I'd have to go back to California the first time uh, that this thing kind of presented itself in front of me. You know, I, I got into politics when I got up from school one day. We talked about this before, and we didn't know who was president after the election in 2000. And that was fascinating to me in that I was glued to the TV and I've been hooked in politics ever since. And I've been lucky that I found an outlet at Bovada that has allowed me to actually handicap and post odds on this stuff to, uh, you know, marry my two interests like this. Uh, last time there was a recall election, we ended up with Arnold Schwarzenegger as uh, governor of California. Very interesting. I remember. And as it currently stands right now, Gavin Newsom is plus 250 to be recalled. So that suggests that he's an underdog. He's about 70% or so to still be governor after uh, this recall vote. But, you know, we do have odds on other candidates. And uh, the only person really challenging him seriously so far based on our odds of Pavada is Larry Elder. Larry Elder, uh, I believe the Republican candidate, one of many Republican candidates, because it's an open, uh, anyone can be voted in. You know, we, we do have, uh, gosh, what's her name? We do have Caitlyn Jenner odds out there as well. If you uh, really want to take a stab at a thousand to one, you could back Caitlyn Jenner to be uh, the next governor. But really it's, it's going to be Newsom or Larry Elder coming out the other side of this. But there's a reasonable chance. There's about a one in four chance that it won't be Newsom as governor of California by end of the year. And you're absolutely right what you said earlier. I don't think there was a blueprint uh, that any governor in any state has uh, done to really show that, yeah, we absolutely nailed our response to this. And don't get me wrong, some have done it worse than others. We're not naming names here, but I think a lot of uh, people are going to find themselves Wait, on the ballot. We're not naming names this. here? Oh, I mean, man. I'm not naming names. You're free to name names. This is a no censorship <laughs> podcast, Seth. Come on, speak your truth. Well, the Lex Luthor in Florida, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> he said uh, it. I didn't, folks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I said it. Um, back to the sports scene. Uh, there have been news on uh, Roger Federer, who's going to mm-hmm. have knee surgery and pulled out of the U.S. Open. And it's pretty wild, but the U.S. Open is coming ever so closely. I always look at the U.S. Open as the official end of summer. That's always been the sporting event because 
during the course of the U.S. Open football starts in the United States, both college and pro. And you see this massive tournament and that's the end. And then you're right into fall sports. You know, the baseball's in the, in the postseason or almost in the postseason, but the heat of the pennant race, it's just a, a great marker uh, as to how those things go. Uh, but Federer changes things because while he's not the favorite, a lot of people still thought he had a shot. Absolutely. And before, uh, before that, uh, Sorry, I have to pause for one sec because is Federer actually out for U.S. Open? Is that, is that recent didn't news? He have, didn't he have uh, knee surgery? Did I say the wrong guy? Oh, no, no. You, shoot, you're right, actually. Christ. Yeah, right. We, we, yeah okay. My, my mistake. Sorry. So, yeah, uh, third knee surgery. Yeah. I, I was like, huh? Damn. I, I'm, well, that's what happens when I'm in Brantford. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry. I just wanted to confirm that before I spent yeah. five minutes yeah, on him. He's going to be out many months. Okay, so I'm ready to jump in. Just pick it up. Research. Yep. Yeah, so before Roger Federer's knee injury, he was uh, 12 to 1 to win the U.S. Open. Certainly right in the mix of things. Uh, definitely in the top five of odds offered alongside guys like Nadal, Medvedev, TM, and of course, Djokovic, the odds-on favorite at the men's uh, U.S. Open. Uh, and you know what? I'm right there with you. I, I really enjoy that the U.S. Open ends that same weekend that football starts like that is it's perfect. I've always enjoyed when there's been weather delays that forced that men's final to be played on a Monday afternoon. And it's happened more often than not at Flushing where you get a Monday 4 PM men's final, and then you get Monday night football right afterwards. And if it's yeah, the first but now Monday they have the roof football, now, now they can't do that. I know. I know that was, that was a you know, simpler time, simpler time. And then you get the Monday night double header, just like, yes, this is fall. This, and you're absolutely right. It is a nice uh, segue towards the end of summer. I was actually lucky earlier this week, Seth, to uh, go to the Rogers open in Montreal. No, it's the, now the national bank open. You gotta, you gotta, gotta, I gotta stay current with my event sponsors. It was always the Rogers open this year, the national bank open to take in some of the women's tennis. It's part of the U S open series. So you have people competing in this stuff, but I love this stuff. This is, it's one of my favorite sports. It's one probably because I'm really bad at handicapping it, but it's one of my favorite sports to purely enjoy Segwaying back to the U S open real quick. Novak Djokovic, your minus one twenty five odds on favorite Danny Medvedev at five to one, getting the majority of the action so far. And then you have guys like Sitsifis, uh, Alexander Shverev, uh, John Sinner, kind of rounding out the form. Once again, it is Djokovic's tournament to lose. Still has a chance at the uh, Grand Slam. He could have had the Golden Slam if he didn't flame out in Tokyo this year, but uh, a Grand Slam on the season is still nothing to shake your head at. Well, I want to ask you about the women's side, but before we do, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas uh, said uh, he's not vaccinated and he only will get vaccinated if it's mandatory to compete in tennis. Um, I, you know, without getting into what, what you said, um, is COVID still a factor in the odds? Very, very much so, Seth. It's something that we need to keep on top of. It's something that, especially for a guy like Sisyphus, who, uh, you know, he, he's in the mix. And a guy like Djokovic is in the mix as well. I, I, you know, Sitsipas just made the announcement, but Djokovic has been pretty steady. Heck, he tried to have, uh, gosh, if we go back to early in the, the pandemic, going back to last April, he tried to have, basically like a COVID tournament in Monaco that ended up with massive infections and that didn't quite work out. And he had to apologize for that. But I don't think Djokovic uh, has gotten the shot right now because he's notoriously been even before uh, the coronavirus has been kind of 
wary about uh, vaccinations in general. So yeah, this stuff really rears its ugly head. And again, it becomes something where we have to factor in not just their form or the weather or recent play or injuries or anything like that, or how they match up against backspins. Yeah, we are having to factor in this positive COVID test because as it currently stands right now, someone like Djokovic represents close to 55% of win expectation for the tournament. If he's gone, you could bet almost everyone else on the board, you know, factor in the house margin that we have as well and theoretically have a level of edge by backing that. So if we're not on top of that, when if someone like Djokovic were to test positive and have to drop out, that's massive. And, you know, we ran into this the last time this really hurt us when John Rahm had to uh, withdraw after having a four or five stroke lead. That was massive. We we lost millions of dollars at Pavada when that happened. And, you know, we've learned from that as we've had to learn about it we honor all those bets even though there was massive value but it just means that in circumstances like this whether it's Djokovic whether it's Sitspis whether it's anybody else that if we are not on top of this there's a lot of opportunities for value in players and you know I don't like to equate uh you know COVID infections with value bets but I mean that is the lay of the land and uh for those intrepid bettors out there there will be opportunities to take those shots on the women's side it's very very interesting because I think a lot of people uh, Whether this is fair or not, I think that all eyes are going to be on Naomi Osaka Um, for good reasons and bad reasons. Partly, you know, for good reasons, her Netflix documentary is amazing. Um, She had a run in with a Cincinnati Inquirer reporter last week. Um, Her first media session since, uh, you know, bowing out of the Olympics. Um, She's the most famous you know, contender. So do more odds go to her? You know, nobody's talking about Carolina Poliskova. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a no no one's talking about other people in the women's draw outside of possibly Serena Williams. But the reality is it's Naomi Osaka, maybe Coco Goff. What's your take on the women's side? Right. And I I mean, and for all the external factors uh, affecting Naomi Osaka right now, she is still on paper one of the top tennis players in the world, if not the if not the best. And the odds reflect that. Seth, looking at the odds for the women's U.S. Open side uh, this fall, it's it's Osaka. She is four to one, the favorite, and she's getting the most amount of money on her so far. I mean, uh, after her, yeah, you've got your Serena Williams in the mix, and that'd be exciting if she can uh, you know regain some form and regain a little bit of dominance. I mean. Her career is already one for the ages and to continue to have that success at that age is really unheard of in women's tennis. Women's tennis is all about very young. They flame out early. They very rarely go as long in age as the men do. So Serena continues to defy the odds there. She's right there at eight to one. Otherwise, yeah, you're talking about Ashley Barty plus 650. Uh, Not defending champion, but US Open winner Bianca Andreescu from Canada, who we absolutely love up here. She's right there at nine to one. You know, it's it's a little bit more wide open than the men's is, which kind of is the case in women's tennis, just because it's uh, it's, it's more prone to less aces. It's more entertaining that way. It, it absolutely this is nothing is, against Novak Djokovic. I have respect. I've seen him in person a, a dozen times. He's amazing. But but women's tennis, the wide open nature of it is mm-hmm. better. It's it's and, and the matches are faster. The two well, out of three beats the three out of five. The three out of five becomes arduous. And, you know, it's a it's a war of attrition. And it's not to say that it isn't in the in the women's side, but the women's side is literally you lose one set in the women's side. 
you are facing elimination. And that's mm. amazing. And not only that, Seth, but it, it, it's more compelling tennis, especially when it's hard court season. Because when it's hard court season, then you have your John Eisner guys who don't play good uh, defense at all, but they have the best serves and you're just, you're watching an ace session. It's a service session. There's not the kind of rallies on the men's hard court that you see on the clay where it's slower. The ball's not bouncing as high and it's easier to have longer rallies. So the women, they are generally having longer rallies, better back and forth. It's more compelling tennis to watch. And you get that dull roar of the crowd when it's the fourth time over the net, the sixth time. You just don't see that too often in men's tennis. It is a rarity. And with how good these guys are at serving, you know, and Milos Raonic, uh, again, if we want to look back at the men's side, that's his forte as well. Like Eisner, he's a really good service uh, player, but he's not a really good rally player. He's not a good defensive player. So you end up seeing a lot of these games where it's, ace 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 and, and that's not very good tennis and i think the women's game is that much more enjoyable because of the rallies because they can defend because it's back and forth it's drop shots it's lobs and everything else that when you get to the hard court you just don't see on the med side so i'm right there with you yeah it just it just seems like um i think the osaka factor is so compelling um just where's her mindset at did you see the documentary I, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's, it's on my list. But again, if, she, if, her, if her head's on straight, she is the best player in women's tennis right now. See it. She, she looks at herself as a robot. And mm-hmm. when she's playing, she's very methodical. Yeah. And when she's not playing, she just doesn't have uh, the mindset of wanting to. She, she doesn't want to be a star. Mm-hmm. And she does these things because she has the opportunity to do these things. And her manager is a major role in the documentary, but uh, Ellen DeGeneres made fun of her jokingly, Ugh. like not mean, okay. but made fun of her like, uh, oh, you're really coming out of your shell there, Naomi. And the agony that you see in her eyes, mm-hmm. it's, it's just watch it. It's like you don't see her the same. And, you know, since we're doing this podcast, I just have to also say it's nothing like Simone Biles. It's 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 nothing remotely close to Simone Biles. It's not even like Kevin Love. It's Mm -hmm. situations that Naomi Osaka, she's so unique Mm -hmm. in her 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 race, her heritage, her gender, her uh, her stardom and and her personality. Mm -hmm. And you factor all of that into it. And it's it's. She's a remarkable human being and she's so young. Exactly. And that's just what I was going to add. At such a young age, it's very difficult to balance. And I can certainly appreciate that. It is sometimes easier to perfect your craft if you go about in a robotic, monotonous kind of way. There's no highs, there's no lows. Uh, you know, Nick Saban uh, was one guy who said that uh, he only has relief from victories, he doesn't enjoy them. And that's always kind of stuck with me about people who are just so on top of their craft, but almost can't enjoy it and almost don't really know how to be like, you know what? I hate to keep uh, bringing up Nick Saban, but I remember he was interviewed after a national championship one year, right seconds afterwards. And they said, what are you thinking about now? And he goes, well, I'm thinking that we're about four weeks behind everybody else in recruiting for next season. And like, he doesn't know how to be anyone except coach Nick Saban. And I think for Osaka and, you know, she's young, she will have time to come into her own, but she doesn't really know how to be outside of the number one player in women's tennis. And uh, I can certainly appreciate that struggle because to be at that level 
takes that kind of focus, takes that kind of effort and dedication and striving to find that balance at such a young age. Uh, I mean, goodness, I'm struggling to find that balance today. And some days I don't even know if I'm any good at what I do, Seth. So uh, I can certainly appreciate that on her end. And uh, I hope she comes out the other side because at the end of the day, she seems like a lovely young woman and she's awesome at what she does. And again, that is why she is the favorite at Bavada to win the Women's US Open. Well, let's. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Open. I'm, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Um, I'm working on getting over there and we'll see, but either way, uh, if I have to watch it on TV, I'm fine. Uh, I, I watched last year on TV. There, there'll be fans this time. You feel that electricity, nothing matches it. It's, it's one of my favorite sporting events of all. Oh really. yeah. And when you, and when you get those rallies and that roar of the crowd, just ever oh. so slowly starts to pick up, uh, you know, that's why I love tennis because we cheer for good tennis more than we cheer for individuals. Right. Don't get me wrong. If it's a U.S. player playing at Flushing, I get it. They're going to get a little bit more, but we cheer for quality more than we cheer for sides. And uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Can't wait well, but think about side. what Naomi Osaka has shown her to be. Mm-hmm. And when she had the controversy in 2018 with, with uh, Serena Williams, Mm-hmm. And when Serena Williams got the penalty for being coached and she had the meltdown and everyone is booing Naomi Osaka mm-hmm. and what she had to hold inside to be able to beat still one of the greatest tennis players ever. Uh, it just, it's amazing. It just it, the whole thing is amazing. All right. That'll do it for the Bavada at odds podcast. Uh, I'm Seth Everett. He is the head odds maker at Bavada Patrick Morrow, Patrick, have yourself a week. We will see you next week. Only one more week of preseason. Can't wait, Seth. (laughs) Then we get serious.